Okay, so if you were here last week, uh, Mark introduced us to uh, a new person by the name of Cornelius. So what I did was I went online and I pulled a picture off his Facebook page. If you put my, you know, so um, this is his, this is him at work. So no, I did it wrong. Um, this is actually from a series. I don't know if any of you caught it. It was called AD. Did any of you see it? A couple, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Number of fans. Um, you know, my wife, we're always really skeptical, you know, whenever they come out with something um, Christian. So we're like, oh, I hope it's, I hope it's good. Please let it be good. And, and this was just, this was an awesome series. It was, I think, 12 episodes. And the guy here in the middle, uh, this is Cornelius. Uh, that's uh, during the series. Um, and he's got all the guys around him. And so Mark introduced us to this guy, Cornelius, last week. He was a, a Roman centurion, which means that he was in command of 100 men. Are you with me? So just kind of kidding. I mean, you know, we always post stuff on our Facebook from work, from family, right? So here's, here's Cornelius at work. You know, he's got it on his Facebook. And, uh, you know, and then in this timeline, he's got, you know, what's happened in the last couple of days. You know, what happened last week was uh, he's praying and an angel comes to him and says, hey, uh, God's, God's heard your prayers. And he says, there's a guy by the name of Simon Peter who's staying in Joppa. He goes, you need to send a couple of your folks to go get him. So then Cornelius grabs a couple servants and a soldier, and he sends them to Joppa. And if you remember at that same time, Peter goes up on the roof. Do you remember this from last week? Okay, he goes up to pray. And as he's praying, he has a vision. And last week, Mark had that, that bed sheet that he used. Do you remember that? He brought it out? Okay. And so what happened was God lowered this sheet and he put all these animals on here. And what he was trying to get Peter to come around to was to say that um, what God has deemed holy and clean, you don't deem unholy and unclean. So because what's going to happen is there's a huge shift that's going to happen in the church. If you remember uh, back in the Gospels, right at the end, there's this thing called the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus says what? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go to how many nations? All not few, not some, all. And then in Acts chapter 1, he told the disciples that you're going to be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Are you with me? So that's Acts 1. So we see that in Acts 2. In Acts 2, if you remember, they're in the upper room. Holy Spirit comes upon them. Peter goes out and preaches this message and 3,000 people come to Christ that day. And then it says they were adding them day by day. So there you have... The coming of the Holy Spirit for the Jews. It was a Jewish audience. And then when you had Philip, he went to Samaria. Do you remember this when Mark talked about it in Acts chapter 8? So now we've moved from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria. And now God's preparing Peter. Guess where he's going to go? He's going to go outside the Jewish community to the Gentiles. So, so Peter has this vision. And these three guys show up and say, Peter, we, we want you to come to Caesarea. And so Peter does what? He goes. And so last week, where Mark ended, was uh, Peter comes walking into the room. Cornelius has all of his family and friends in the room. Are you with me? And so he walks in, Cornelius bows, and Peter goes, no, 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 no. You don't worship me. Mark talked about that last week. He goes, you don't worship a man. You don't worship a pastor. You worship Jesus. And so he lifts Cornelius up. And so now that's the setting. And now that's what we're walking into in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. So and here's the question. Um, that I pose is that, you know, why is Peter so uncomfortable? Because when we look in verse 28, if you go to verse 28, it says, here's what Peter says to Cornelius. And he said to him, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Okay, so where does that come from? Well, if we go back 
into Israel's history. Okay, here's, here's what Peter's dealing with. Okay, there's, there's a lot of Jewish tradition that's built up. When you go back into the Old Testament, there were some kings. Do you remember Saul? David? Solomon? Does that sound familiar? After Solomon, after he died, Israel got split into two. The north became Israel and the south was Judah. Now, Israel continued on for a couple hundred years and they got taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Okay? Judah continued on for about 300 years. They went into captivity. The reason they went into captivity was God placed Israel on this earth to be his presence in a broken world. And they ended up looking and acting just like the other pagan nations. So they got taken into captivity. So when they went, they lost their land, they lost their temple, and they lost a whole lot of people. So the leaders, when they came back, after 70 years of being out of their land, the leaders said, okay, here's what we're going to do. So that we don't get judged like that again, we're going we're to put this wall up. Okay? And what we're going to do is anybody that's outside of that Jewish community, guess what we're going to do? Stay back. We want nothing to do with you. And when Jesus shows up, now let me ask you, did Jesus keep people at an arm's distance? Did he? He didn't, did he? And when you look in the gospel of Luke, he says that I didn't come to call righteous to repent, but who? Sinners. And then in Luke 19, he says that I have come to seek and to save the who? The lost. And then in Luke 15, that's that parable of the prodigal son. It's actually a story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Right there at the beginning of Luke 15, it says that tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus to hear him speak. And you know what the Pharisees and scribes were doing? <sighs> Look at this guy. He's actually, he, he's hanging out with sinners. And not only that, he's eating with them. And see, here's the point. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, they were very good about being holy and righteous. And Jesus is trying to correct this errant theology. He goes, guys, listen to me. Here's what you're missing. God has always called God's people to be holy, but why? Why? Because when you're holy, living amongst unholy people, they get to see what it looks like for God to be in charge. Are you with me? Because guess what? When you leave here, do you live, work, play, family, friends? Do you, do you live amongst people who are not believers? Just go like this. Yep, you do, don't you? And see, here's the thing. There's nobody beyond God's reach, is there? No, you're here, right? I'm here. There's nobody beyond God's reach. And see, the thing is, is that typically the way it works is that God's reach is through believers reaching out to unbelievers. Do you follow me on that? See, that's how I'm here. That's how the majority, I think, of you are here. You're here because a Christian invited you, and over time, at some point, you became a Christian. And see, just to show this theology, do you, do you remember the story of, the, of uh, the Good Samaritan? Luke chapter 10. Do you know the story? So Jesus is having this, this debate with a lawyer. And so this lawyer is like, well, how do I inherit eternal life? And he says, and they go back and forth. And finally, he says, let me tell you a story. He says, this guy is going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he comes upon some robbers. And what do they do? They beat him. They strip him of his outer clothes. And they what? It says it leaves him half dead. Okay, now that means he's unconscious, so he can't talk. So it's a Jewish audience. Jesus is Jewish. He's in Israel. Are you, are you getting the context? This is Jewish. So the first person that comes along was who? Who was it? It was a priest. Now, if you don't know the function of a priest, a priest was supposed to be the presence of God on earth. Are you with me? So if you're Jewish and the first person is the priest, guess what the people are thinking? Yay, here comes God. 
And so the priest in the story does what? Walks over to the guy, bandages him up, and takes him, and he's the hero, right? Yay! He's, he's not, is he? What does he do? Looks at him and does what? Walks by on the other side. And so the Jewish crowd's like, so the next person's a Levite. Now the Levite, he helped the priest in the temple. So here comes the Levite, and he's Jewish. And what does he do? He stops and helps him, right? And he's the hero. Yay! He's, he's not, is he? What does he do? So now you've got the third person. Who's the hero in the story? Who is it? The Samaritan. Now let me ask you a question. Did the Jews like the Samaritans? They were really bad people. In fact, let me tell you this. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Did you see how I said that? Hated. Hated them. So here in this story, Jesus says, and a Samaritan comes along. He just drops a bomb right there. And everyone in that crowd would have been like, did he say Samaritan? Is that what he said? And Jesus goes, yep, I did. And he's the hero. He takes the guy. He bandages him up. And then he says what? He asked the guy, he goes, which, which one of them was a neighbor? Which one of them showed God's grace to that man? And the lawyer can't even say Samaritan. What does he say? If you look at your text, he goes, that was the one that showed mercy. And so Jesus is trying to show him. He goes, you don't keep him at an arm's distance. He goes, you need to be close, don't you? See, Matthew 5, 16, you know what? He says that let your light shine before men so that they may what? See your what? See your good works and glorify who? Yourself? Look at me. Glorify who? Your father in heaven. But in order for them to see it, you've got to be living your life among them. Are, are you with me? That, that, that's what Jesus was trying to tell you. He goes, it's, it's good to be holy. It's good to be righteous, but not, not to live on a mountain because that's safe, isn't it? Isn't that safe? Safer. Go live on a mountain. But he's like, that's, that's not it at all. So, so this is what Peter's struggling with. Jesus has commanded him to go, but yet all this Jewish tradition that says, Mm-mm, you don't mess with them. So that, that's how he's conflicted. So anyways, okay. Wow. Like 10 minutes. Mark would be proud. I haven't gotten through a verse yet. So, hey, Mark. Anyways. So, uh, <laughs> so he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Verse 29. So when I was sent for you, Look what it says. I came without objection. Now, I know we give Peter a lot of grief. He suffers from foot and mouth disease, right? I mean, he, he speaks before he thinks. But do you see what his response is? God told me to go, and what do I do? He went. And when we've looked at these other characters, like Philip, Philip was in Samaria, and God said, go to the Gaza Road. You know what the text says? He arose, and he what? He went. Ananias was told to go see this guy, Saul. And he, at first he didn't want to, but then what did he do? He got up and he went. And then Peter, God tells him to go. And what does he do? I came. He went. So I ask you then, why, why have you sent for me? So now here's what Cornelius, he's going to just retell Peter. He said, well, let me tell you four days ago what happened. I, I had a vision. So Cornelius, he says, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. 
And he said to me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Verse 32. So send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon. He's a tanner by the sea. Verse 33. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So what's happened now is that you've got Cornelius. He's invited his friends and family And here comes Peter walking into this room. And so this divine appointment, and they're like, okay, Peter, how do you become a Christian? I mean, think about that in your life. I mean, if you've ever done evangelism, this is like an evangelism's dream. If somebody comes to you and goes, you know, I've I've watched you and I've seen you're a Christian. How do I become one? Boy, that's just, that's, that's bump set spike right there. And so Peter's getting ready to deliver the gospel message. But here's Peter's aha moment. Look at this, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and here's what he said. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Remember what the Pharisees thought? Okay, remember, this is that thinking. Verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, here's a question. Now, we just talked about it a minute ago, but is this the first time that God has ever extended grace outside of Israel? Is this the first time? It's not. When you go back into the Old Testament, see, when God brings Israel out of Egypt, when he redeems them, In the book of Exodus, he says, you're going to be my holy nation. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a light to the nations. He takes Israel, and in the book of Joshua, he places them at the crossroads of the world. And he says, I want you to be God's presence in a broken world. Now, he did that, but Israel tended to do one of two things. And the first thing is, is they tended to isolate themselves. We talked about putting up that wall. So if you'll put up um, a little comparison here between Jonah and Peter. Do you remember the story of Jonah? You remember the story of Jonah? Well, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach a message of judgment. And he says, if you don't, uh, if you don't repent, judgment's coming. So what did, what did Jonah do? Let me get right on that. Where's Nineveh at? Is it over here? What does he do? He, take, he ran away. So just to kind of give you some perspective, okay? Do you want me to use the mark map? Let me do the, on the, no, it's okay. I want to like buy him a shirt with a map on it, don't you? So you know, like he can... So um, do it. Yeah. So so anyways, if, if I'm standing in Jerusalem, none of us 500 miles to the east in what would be modern day Iraq, like Mosul, Iraq. OK, you with me? He goes and gets on a boat and goes to Tarshish, which is in southern Spain. OK, 500 miles this way, 2000 miles this way. So that that's 2500 miles difference. OK, that that's that's not just like, oops. That would be like you getting on a plane and maybe trying to hit New York or Boston and ended up in L.A. There's a big difference. Are, are you with me? You, you think? Yeah. So, so what happens is, is Jonah runs away from God. God sends a whale, a big fish, grabs him, throws him up in the land. And then Jonah goes through Nineveh and he proclaims God's message. And what do the people do? They repent. How's Jonah's attitude? Is he happy? He's not, is he? When you look in, at Jonah in chapter 4, Jonah's sitting there and you want to, his, his countenance, he's like this. Why? Did the Jews like the Assyrians? Were the, guess what the Assyrians were? They were really bad people. They're enemies of Israel. They didn't like them. Guess what Jonah wanted? Judgment. They don't deserve your grace. And that's what he says in chapter 4. He goes, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate. I knew it. And that's why I didn't want to go. So here you have Jonah, reluctant to go. And now you have a guy, Peter. Now, what's, what's Peter been called to do? He's going to Cornelius. Okay, 
Remind me again, what was Cornelius? What kind of soldier? Who did he belong to? Rome. Did the Jews like the Romans? Did they? How did they view the Romans? Really bad people. The Romans killed a lot of Jews. A lot, they did. So now, Peter's being told to go to Cornelius. And how do they view him? It's really bad. And what's interesting, put up, put up verse 32 for me. Just, just so you can see um, a contrast here between these two characters. Jonah represents Israel in the Old Testament in that they, they wanted to isolate themselves. They didn't want to share the gospel. They didn't want to share the good news. Uh, but when you look at Peter, he went. And what's interesting is, do you remember in the story of Jonah, do you know what city he went to to get on that boat? Joppa. So even though they're separated by 800 years, Jonah goes to Joppa and gets on a boat and goes to Tarshish, running away from God. Peter is in Joppa and gets a vision to go where? To Cornelius. So 800 years separate him, but God has the same mission for them. You go to the Gentiles. Take the message to the world. So now, verse 36. Okay, Peter's getting ready to deliver it. So now we've got the setting. He's in the room. Uh, and it says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, because he is Lord of all. 37. And you yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing and all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did. So Peter, he's saying we, we were eyewitnesses of everything that Jesus did. And here's the thing. We get, we get lost sometimes in this. And Mark talked about it last week. You, know, you realize that a number of these guys were fishermen. Did, do you know that? Possibly seven of the 12 were fishermen. And so I can't help but, you know, when we talk about the disciples years ago, you know, we, we were at a family gathering and, uh, and some of our family were watching this, you know, reality show and they're like, hey, have you seen the show? And I was like, no, you know, come here, you got to watch it. And it was a show you've probably heard of. It's called Deadliest Catch. Have you heard of it? Anybody? Okay. Well, the premise of the show is these are a bunch of professional fishermen, but what they're doing is they're up in Alaska fishing for, for, for crabs and they have these huge crab pots that, you know, they're swinging around on the deck and. Um, and so I went and sat down and watched it and I was like, wow. And so about, I watched about 10 minutes of it and then it cuts to a commercial break. But these guys, if you've seen it, th- these are rough, tough dudes, aren't they? Have you seen it? I mean, these, they're not on the boat in ascots and penny loafers, are they? Are they? Billy, watch out for that pot. That's heavy. Oh, shame on you. Did you hurt your ankle? Oh, come and kiss it. Right? I mean, when you watch the show, what, if you watch it, there's a lot of bleeping, isn't there? There is, isn't it? They're like, get out, beep, 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 beep. and I mean, it, it's because these are rough, these are rough, tough guys. And so you watch that. And when it came to the break, we're all sitting there and I go, wow, I go, that's the disciples. Our family's like, what, what are you talking about? I said, that's them, a number of them. I mean, you know, it tells us in, in, in Mark's gospel, if you remember, I know we did it during to the cross, but Peter, when he denies Christ three times. In Mark's gospel, when he's warming himself by the fire, it says that that third time, do you know what he started doing? He began to curse and swear. Now, 
do you think, I mean, let's be real, okay? He, these are human beings. Do you think Peter, this is the first time that he's ever cussed? It wouldn't. I mean, do you think he's by the fire and they're like, you are with him. And he's like, give me some cuss words. <laughs> Got any? I don't know any. No, he knew some. Because these, guy, because these guys are rough, tough dudes. And so, and part of that is, what's amazing is when you look at these guys being fishermen, here, here's what's special. It's, it's always been and it always will be special about God. And he did it, and I know, I, I know Mark, should, he did this on purpose. He took these guys. I mean, did, did Peter go to, like, speech class? Did he go to seminary? He worked a boat. But yet he takes these guys and he changes the world. And so for us, it, that should be for us to look at it and go, I mean, that, that's why I'm saying it's special about God. Because he wants to use all of us, doesn't he? He does. And so Peter's saying, we're witnesses of all that he did. And that would have been so cool to see him walk on water, you know? Or how about bringing Lazarus back from the dead? I mean, that. So he says that we were there. We were witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day. And he made him to appear. Not to all the people, not to everyone, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one. Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins through his name. So here Peter's recounting. And this, and this follows, this almost follows to a T, the gospel of Mark. I mean, Peter just lays this out and says, here's this guy who was anointed by God. He was the Messiah. He came, he lived his life. He went by about healing uh, people who were oppressed by the devil, doing miracles, and then they put him on a tree. They hung him on a cross, and three days later, he rose from the grave. And now, to put your faith in him, you will have forgiveness of sins. So Peter's given this message, and as we see here in 43, he doesn't even get to finish. And look what happens, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, what does it say? The Holy Spirit, what? Fell on all those who were hearing the word. So in this group of folks, so Peter's, he's still talking, and God interrupts him. He says, Holy Spirit, verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised. Last week, Mark talked about this. Peter brought six people with him. Okay, these are Jewish believers. Okay, and the reason he did that is because in the Old Testament, typically what you would do is you would bring two people to be an eyewitness to validate or to verify what you're doing. Okay, so it wasn't just your word versus their word. He has six people. So six guys are watching this. And look what it says. It says, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were what? What is going on? Holy What? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. Look at the wording. Even on the Gentiles. Even, wow, look at this. Verse 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then here's what Peter declared. Verse 47. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So here's the scene. If you remember back in Acts chapter 2, 
Peter was the leader of Pentecost. He got up and preached that message. 3,000 people came to Christ. And it was a Jewish audience. So here you have Pentecost for the Jews. Now in chapter 10, you got Pentecost for the Gentiles. Identical. And Peter's the leader. And he's there to proclaim that message to these followers. Now, when you look at people like Peter, Cornelius, Philip, Ananias, let me tell you something. In that day and in that context, for for them to identify themselves with Jesus, it it, it wasn't a half-hearted effort. It was an all-in. It was all in. Because let me ask you a question. For Cornelius, who's he supposed to be loyal to? Rome. Caesar. Right? Are you with me? And who does he give his allegiance to? Jesus. So these guys, they're, they're, there's no turning back. They're all in. And so here's the thing is that when you look, when you look at their lives, you know, they have a decision to make every single day just like we do. Is that what... Are, what are they going to choose? Are they going to live for themselves? Or are they going to follow? Are they going to follow God? See, Paul talks about this. Um, he goes on to write the Apostle Paul. He goes on to write 13 letters in the New Testament. And one of the letters that he wrote uh, to the church of Galatia, the Galatians, in chapter 5, he talks about this. He's talking to believers. And here's what he says. It's chapter 5, uh, verse 16. He goes, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. Okay, what's he talking about? Well, here's the thing. Every one of us, we're born sinners. Good morning. Welcome to church. We're, Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. So what Paul is saying here is that when you and I wake up in the morning, where we naturally gravitate towards is right here. We don't even have to try the flesh. This is the me life. But he says that that's that's not where it stops, because here you've heard Mark say this. It's OK to be a mess, but it's not OK to what? Stay that way. Mess. Paul says you don't walk now that you. You've put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit's where. In you and every day you have a choice to make to deny that flesh and live right here, because let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of anybody who accidentally fell into holiness? Does it happen? It, you, you run into a Christian you're like, man, you're just knocking it out of the park. What are you doing? Nothing. Wow, me too. It doesn't happen, does it? Or how about running into a friend you haven't seen in a while and, and they're just really physically fit and you go, man, what have you been doing? They're like eating chips and donuts and sitting on the couch. And you're like, wow, me too. But I don't. And we laugh because it's intentional, isn't it? It's intentional. And so here's the thing. The question with. You know, what are we going to do? Are we we going to trust God with our lives? And see, that's a theme that keeps running and keeps coming up here, whether if it's Mark or Tom or Scott or Travis or John or me. Is here at the church, we say, we surrender to God, don't we? And what's that going to take? What what is it in your life that's keeping you from fully trusting God or surrendering to him? Well, let me give you, for example, for me in my life, um, you know, Georgia and I, we were talking about this this past week. I said, you know, when we first got married, I'm, I'm a recovering sportsaholic. So, um, yeah. So when we first got married, I said, you know, if I would have had a cell phone with a ringtone, I said, what would that ringtone have been? She's like, da-da-da, da-da-da, <laughs> without missing a beat. And she's right, because every night I was spending hours. I mean, it didn't matter what. It could be basketball. It could be racquetball, croquet, lawn darts, bowling. You know, she'd come in. She's like, what are you watching? I'm like, it's lawn darts. I mean, these guys are good. 
this is a great match. And it's like, really? And so it, it wasn't until we got into a small group. And, and in the small group, it got into, you know, time management and, you know, how are you spending your time? How's your walk with God? And so, you know, they got to me and it's like, well, you know, how, how's your walk and how you do? I said, well, I, mean, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of time. And you thought it would have stopped right there, but it didn't. When you're in a, when you're in a life group or small group, they, they a lot of times push and prod and want to find out why not. So, well, why not? What are you doing? I mean, what's your life like? Well, I mean, when I get home from work, you know, I eat dinner and they're like, for what, four hours? I mean, well, how long are you eating? I said, well, you know. Like, well, what are you doing after that? Well, I mean, I'm watching TV. Well, how much? I mean, you know, I don't know, a little bit. You know, my wife's sitting there and she's like, which if you're married, that's the nonverbal for, you're lying, liar. And so I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where um, you're, you're describing or you're, they're, they're asking you about yourself and everybody in the room knows that you have a problem except for you. Right? Everybody knows. And I'm like, I just don't know what the problem is. And everybody's like, you're the problem. And you just don't know it. And, and I didn't. And it was funny because, you know, at that time, they're like, well, how do you spend your time? Well, okay, so I, every night, well, wow. Yeah, maybe that is a problem. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe that's not important to me. And so the fact was I didn't have time. I did. But how was I spending it? Hey, sports. Every night. And so I had to do a difficult thing. I got rid of cable. Wow. Yay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? And, and in the services so far, I've had, I've had guys come up to me after every service and all they said two words, me too. Me too. Because at first, was it hard? Oh, oh. When you go from a couple hundred channels down to like five, right? And this is, you know, this is, you're, this is rabbit ears, you know, maybe a little aluminum foil on the end, you know, so you're getting, yeah. So you're, you're getting like, you know, channel eight, 10, 13, 28, 44, maybe 35 on a good day, you know? So that was hard. But what it did was after time, boy, that was the best thing that I could ever do because it actually made me refocus and think, what's important in my life? What's important? And see, that, that was a catalyst for me. And you know what? That could be for you, but I don't know what that is in your life. But here's the thing. This is why I said before, see, God wants to use you to reach other people. Do you know that? And see, here's the thing. Just like with Peter, Cornelius, when God said go, what'd they do? They went. And when you're living right here, when God says go, when he says follow, you don't. Because it's the me life. It's only when you live here, when you die to that life, and you surrender, and you put your trust in God, this, this is where you find real life. You know, a couple weeks ago, um, Mark was up here with Betsy Lowe, and they were talking about the children's ministry. Do you remember that? And Betsy's like, hey, we have, you know, 10,000 kids over there and like two adults. And we need some help. You know, and she was almost crying. No, I'm just kidding. But we do, we do need help. Yeah, we do need volunteers. The point was, then Mark said, wouldn't that be cool? How cool would that be if you volunteered over there with the kids and one of those kids ended up being the next Billy Graham? And you're like, man, that would be cool. And so I was thinking about that. I said, well, how cool would that be if the next Billy Graham's in here? Isn't that possible? It is, isn't it? It is. And so you won't know, and you wouldn't know, unless you get right here. And you put your trust, and you say, because we, we sing the songs, don't we? We just got through singing songs, right? You're my all in all. You're everything. Take it all. Take my heart. Take me. Take it. Do we mean it? We should. 
And so that's the question. That's the challenge today is what, what is it that's keeping you from totally trusting God? Because like I said again, he wants to use you. Do you know that? Go, you should be going like this. He does. That's how God reaches people. He uses believers to reach non-believers. That's how it's always been. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. So that's the challenge. You've got to answer that. I can't answer it for you. But let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, this is a, some tough conversations. It's uncomfortable. I can remember years ago having that conversation and having to take a look at my own life and realize that uh, I had time. It's just I chose to spend my time elsewhere. Uh, you were not a priority. I surely wasn't following you. I didn't trust in you. So I pray, uh, you know, as the men and women and boys and girls, as they're listening to this, that we would take that to heart, what it really means to surrender. We sing the songs. That's our mission statement, to surrender to you, to make disciples here and around the world. Uh, But it's got to be personal. We've got to realize that that's where real life is, is to totally surrender to you, to put our full trust in you. We thank you for going to the cross. We thank you that forgiveness of sins is real. And we just ask that you would give us the power and the strength to stand for you. Help us. We know you want to use us, Lord. Help us deny ourselves every day to live for you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great day. We've got some goodies back there. If you want to talk, we'll be in the corner. God bless. Thank you.